Thanks, brother. I appreciate that. I feel like I'm in a video game now. That's awesome. Um, all right. Turn the lights up. <laughs> oh, gosh, sorry. I mean, you do have to look at your neighbor sometimes. Um, I don't want to see them. I'm trying to sleep. All right. Um, so uh, I, I'm very honored to be up here with you. Um, I am a product of these conferences. Twelve years ago, I was sitting in a, uh, a conference like this with my wife. I think we'd been married approximately eight to 12 minutes or something. Uh, I just graduated from the Florida State University. And, um, and uh, yeah, and uh, some of you know Pastor Gabe Bouch. Before his pastor, Gabe Bouch, he was, <laughs> he was, my, he was my campus minister. And so, uh, and so we, we were married, and he, and he calls me and says, hey, uh, you want to you wanna go to this conference? And I was like, well, well I'm newly married and poor, so yeah. Um, and, and so we went, and, um, and that's when the Lord called me into ministry. I heard something like the voice of God as clearly as I've ever heard it before, and, and my response was, no, um, <laughs> no, I, I don't want to do that. Um, and then he, he told my wife at the same time, and I was like, I guess we're going to do that then. Uh, <laughs> and for those of you who are married, you all said, hallelujah. Uh, that's, that is in fact how it works. Um, and, and so, um, we, we moved overseas. We helped plant a couple of churches in the UK, moved to Boston and have, um, and have one church in two locations, uh, there now. And, uh, and we're looking to plant and keep growing and, and, and reach our city and our region for Jesus. And I, I want to look at that with you today. I want to look at what it takes, what it means, how in the world that happens, that you go from being you to being and doing what God has asked you to do. Because it's all well and good to come to a conference. It's all great to stand up here and sing and have these great experiences. And, you know, we, we dip you in some water, you cry, you have an emotional response. It's great. And then you go back to your campus and in three to six months, keep doing whatever you want to do. And we don't want that. But the way we avoid that isn't by to continue to fill you with more experiences. It's by allowing these experiences to show you that Jesus Christ is life. His life. That Christ is life. And, and I want to read to you uh, from the book of Philippians to unpack this idea. Then we're going to pray and see if we can make some sense of it, okay? You with me? You ready to work in your Bible a little bit? If you're not, you're in the wrong spot. All right. <laughs> Philippians 1, uh, starting in verse... 19. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, this is Paul writing and he's talking about his imprisonment, this really cruddy situation that he's in, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's pray. God, please help us this afternoon. Please send the Holy Spirit 
to open our eyes to what the text means, to open our heart to what the text compels us to feel. God, to open our ears to what you want to say to us. Lord, I'm asking that as a result of the preaching of your word and as a result of the power and working of your spirit, you would do in some here what you did in me 12 years ago. You would do in some here what you've done to others in the room through similar experiences. You would, you would call us all to place you as center, as, as life. And would you call some of us to give our lives vocationally to you? Lord, we really do believe that you are life. And when you are life, death is gain. Help us today. Amen. So as I mentioned a few years back... Um, I, you know, was, was called in, into ministry and it's been, it's been great. It's been terrible. It's been beautiful. It's been hard and all of those things. And it's, it's, it's the thing that God has asked me to do, but that is less impressive than what happened to the author of this text. So go back with me a couple of thousand years and, and we find a young man who was born into privilege, a young man who was born into uh, citizenry in Rome, uh, his his parents were Jewish, but his parents also were Roman citizens, and so he kind of had the best of both worlds, being politically respected and in a in a group of people that was small at the time. He was he was in a culturally elite family, but also uh, religiously, he had the market cornered on truth because he was Jewish. And not only was he Jewish, but he he began to be discipled under this dude named Gamaliel, who was who was the Ivy League professor of the day, okay? And so so Paul the apostle was personally mentored by the smartest, the most excellent, the best leader, and he had everything going for him. Much like many of you do. Now, I know that, that you know, it's, it's very popular now if, if you're a teacher or you're a professor or whatever to make you feel like you're, you're all, you know, just the subject of all these terrible forces. But actually, the fact that you live in the United States of America in 2016 and you're getting a college degree makes you really, really elite. You really, really on the cutting edge of something. It means that you've got opportunities open to you. It means that you've got the future open to you. And the reason that many of you are doing what you're doing is so that you can go and be and do something great in the future. And so that's what Paul was supposed to be, man. He was privileged. He was empowered. And what happened was he, he started to get, as, at an early age, man, he, he was just in the right rooms at the right time, and he got promoted quickly. And then this thing, this guy named Jesus, who was some, like, bootleg rabbi that nobody really discipled, but was kind of, you know, out there, you know, he was from the backwoods, and nothing good ever comes from, you know, people who come from the backwoods. And so um, there was a place called Nazareth, and he was, you know, followed around. These weren't, like, you know, normal disciples. These guys were nobodies. They were blue-collar guys. They were fishermen. And people were, so, you know, getting healed or whatever, and so finally we killed that guy. And, but, but he, it wasn't the end then. Then all of his followers who on Friday were filled with fear and trembling and anxiety by Sunday or Monday were now filled with a boldness. They weren't afraid of anybody anymore. They were proclaiming that he was raised from the dead and Paul decided, look, this is gonna end and it's gonna end now. Any achievers in the room? Hallelujah, I am among you, right? <clears throat> I, I feel that achievement thing. And, I, and I, I get, Paul, I get that, you know, oh, he's alive? I'll show you how alive he is. And, and so he gets, he, gets, uh, he gets legal permission to hunt down and imprison and abuse these people who are calling themselves followers of the way. And, man, he's good at his job. 
He's good at his job. In fact, the, the murder, the martyrdom of the first Christian was overseen by Paul when he was still called Saul. Yet somewhere along the line, Saul's headed out to go persecute more Christians and he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. Not an argument about Jesus Christ. Not a philosophical discourse. He didn't attend a debate. There was no, 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 no. He had an encounter. Like Jesus knocked him off his horse, which is awesome. (laughs) And by the time he got his head right again, his name was no longer Saul, it was Paul. And he went from being the chief persecutor to the church to the one who would be chiefly persecuted for the church. Something happened to him, which I'm pleading with God would happen to you. He had an encounter with Jesus that caused him to see that Christ was life. And when Christ is life, death is gain. Your joy is invincible and there is meaning in your pain. When Christ is life, when Christ is life, death is gain. Joy for you will be an invincible thing and there will be deep and profound meaning in your pain. And so let me, let me, let me just clarify though, because I said Christ is life, not lifestyle choice. Can I, can I clarify? Christ is life, not lifestyle choice. He's not, he's not the choice between, you know, am I going to be a Mercedes guy or a Beamer guy? You know, am I going to be in the city or in the, like those are lifestyle choices, which I hope you have at some point the ability to make. I don't, but whatever. Um, I mean, one day I'll do that kind of ministry where I get to sit in a throne. That'd be awesome. Then maybe. But until then. All right. Um, and so, you know, like on Christian TV, forget it. Um, just ask your pastor. Um, Paul had an encounter with Jesus that caused him to fundamentally reorient everything about life. Some of you have had that encounter. Some of you think you've had that encounter. And some of you are disobeying the implications of that encounter. Christ is life. He's not lifestyle choice. He's not like, oh, I'm going to do everything I was going to do, but now I'm going to get Jesus. And Jesus, I'm going I'm to pray these magic Jesus prayers, and they're, I'm going to sprinkle them like fairy dust over my life so that now I can have everything that I already wanted. And now i got Jesus working for me to give me what I want. And if you're here for that, then I have terrible news for you. That's not even a thing. I mean, it's a thing that sells a lot of books. It's a thing that fills a lot of rooms a lot bigger than this one. And it's a thing that will send thousands and thousands and thousands of people to hell. It's not a thing. There's not a thing where you get to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, but really he's, you know, you're his Lord. And you're like, Jesus, I need a... And he's like, oh, yeah, okay. It's not a... It's not a thing. And you're like, well, I don't know. I got faith. You don't have more faith than Paul. You just don't. You just don't. No, but I prayed once and stuff happened. Awesome. His shadow healed people. How are you? How are you feeling? How are you feeling? Are you all right? All right, can I give you some perspective this afternoon? Something so dramatic happened to Paul that Christ didn't, he, he wasn't lifestyle choice. Neither was he, was he death, right? Some of you, you approach following Christ and you're like, oh, okay, Jesus, I was, you know, really enjoying my stuff, but fine. And you kind of mope and you're like, I guess I'll follow 
Christ, you know, and, and, and your begrudging obedience is very glorifying to him. Um, those of you who have a significant other, imagine how he or she might feel um, if you were like, I guess I'll take you on a date. But many of you were like, I guess I'll get to the conference. He's life. He's not death. He's not. Some of you, you're holding back from following Christ. You're holding back from making him the center and source and meaning of your life because you think he's really not life. Like that if you follow him, everything's going to be horrible. And you're wrong. You're wrong. When Christ is life, when he's life, death is gain, your joy will be invincible and there will be meaning in your pain. So listen to what he says. I rejoice for I know that through the prayers and help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or or by death. I love what he says. He says, it is my eager expectation and hope. Paul has been in jail at this point for a while. And we're getting on the sunset years of his life, okay? There ain't that many shopping days left till Christmas for Paul, okay? And, and he's filled with eager expectation and hope. When Christ is life, cynicism doesn't make sense anymore. When Christ is life, that thing where you disbelieve everything, and I don't mean like you're, you're, the way you know stuff. I'm talking about just that attitude you have, like the, the yeah writing of everything, where you seem smart, but you're actually a fool. That's not, it, it, falls, it falls off. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Those things are mutually exclusive. Because when Christ is life, all of a sudden, there's never not a source of life in your life. So that whether you're in plenty and you're rolling rich and the house is nice and the spouse is lovely to look at and the children are, yes, daddy, we love you. And everything is great. Or you have none of that and your body is riddled with disease and you're in jail and you're so cold that you have to write to Timothy to bring you your coat, which is what Paul had to do. You can still be filled with eager expectation and hope. And Christ is life. He's life. He's not side dish. He is not apportionment on the end. He's not Sunday morning and Wednesday evening and the occasional small group throughout the week. He's life. He's life. For Paul, Christ was life. And what got him to be there, what got him to turn his back, and later in this letter, he has some really strong language to describe his former life, which I shall not repeat for you here. But any of you who study Greek, just look. It's fun. Um... He turns his back on his former life and he says, I I count it all as as rubbish, as garbage compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and the fellowship that I have with him, even in my suffering. You don't get there by a good argument from a guy like me. You don't get there by, you know, a really good, you get there when you have an encounter with the living son of God, Jesus Christ. And Paul did. Paul did. Christ was life. And this is not what you're told. You are told that in college right now, you are there to discover what life is for you. Because you, you got it. You, you got it. Girl, you got to do you. <laughs> you got to do you. You, you know, this works for me, but you do you. 
The literal definition of disobedience is when you are a law unto yourself. You do you is the confession of the ungodly. It is exactly how you go to hell forever. It it is, I mean, look, when Anton LaVey wrote the Satanic Bible a couple of decades ago, you know the first sentence he put in it? Do what you want. There should be a bigger reaction right now, right? Like, like a, oh, crap. Like, that should be deep. Like, oh, no. You know? Yeah, yeah. There should be a deep, oh, no moment right now in some of you. It's okay. Just let it, it'll, it'll bubble up throughout the experience we're having together. <clears throat> no, Paul was filled with courage. You're told, though, that in college right now, you're there to experiment and experience everything everything that you want so that you can look deep down into your internal, dark, personal cave of crazy and pull out of that thing your identity. (laughs) Do you know what the Bible says? And I apologize for the folks who came from my church because I repeat this often and you guys can just, you know, tune out for this. Um, Just, this is, it seems extra for you. I abuse you on a weekly basis and these people don't know, so... You can pray for those Alethea folks. Um, The Bible says three things about your heart. It's broken. It's untrustworthy. And you need a new one. That's what it says. I'm I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And so if you think you're going to figure out you by just looking long enough in the mirror, staring hard enough into your navel, or just getting, you know, more in touch with your inner whatever, you're not. You will only discover who you are when you discover who he is. Christ is life. And when Christ is life, death is gain. Death is gain. Death is gain. We avoid death. We avoid sickness. We avoid disease. We avoid unhealth. We do everything we can to try and be younger, longer. We perpetuate this kind of weird adolescence that the Bible knows nothing of. As if that thing were life. And as soon as it starts to fade and decay, then we just assume we're no longer really worth knowing. We're not pretty anymore. You know, when Christ is life, you can embrace death because the worst thing that can happen to you is that you are dispatched to glory. When Christ is life, you can lose stuff and you'll be okay. When Christ is life, you can actually obey that Bible verse many of you have plastered on a cup or on a bumper sticker that you don't believe. I can do all things. You know what that's from? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You should read the verse that goes before it. So that whether living in plenty or in want, because when Christ is life, death is gain. Death is gain. Now, hard? Yes. Possible? Absolutely. Absolutely. But when Christ is life, death is gain. Paul is in jail. And he's like, oh, you're going to put me in jail? And he, he wasn't in there going, oh no, the church is going to collapse. What's, what's going to happen? You know what he did? He wrote the Bible. <laughs> I, just, I just deeply love this man's commitment to efficiency and effectiveness. Right? <laughs> Do you know how frustrating it must have been to dislike Christians if you knew Paul? Like, oh yeah? yeah? Well, we're going to let you go. Awesome, I'm going to go preach to people. We'll put you in jail. Awesome, I'm going to write the Bible. We'll, we'll, uh, what are we going to do? We'll kill you. Great, I really want to meet Jesus. Uh, what do we do to this guy? 
I mean, we're, we're, it's, it's funny, and it is, it's funny to us because this is 2016 and we're, you know, in the greater D.C. area in, in America, but do you know that this is why Christians are still in Syria, even though there are people who are threatening to literally dismember them? Do you know why your brothers and sisters in the faith haven't yet turned their back on their king even as they've watched their children get murdered? Because Christ is life. And if Christ is life, death is gain. Death is gain. For, for Paul, the apostle, he said, look, it's my eager expectation and hope that I'm not going to be ashamed, but today, with full courage, now just like forever, Christ will be honored in my body. In my, isn't that an interesting... Why did he put that? Because we think we can somehow honor Christ and do what we want with this. If you tell me you love Jesus and with your body you disobey him, you are a liar. You're a liar. Jesus said, if you love me, do what I say. If you love me, keep my commandment. I mean, he repeats this, I think six times between John 17 and the end of the gospel. It's my eager expectation and longing so that, that, that now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Do you know the way you suffer can honor or dishonor Christ? If you are right now, you're suffering, and I'm sorry if you're suffering. I really am. The Bible says we should weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. We should never glory in anyone's suffering, but you can suffer in such a way where Jesus is not honored in it. Or you can suffer in such a way where Jesus is deeply honored in it. You know, last night you got to hear from Pastor Ron Lewis. I am, uh, his son is one of my dearest friends. And um, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me sharing this with you. His, one of his sons uh, passed away from cancer. His family suffered well. Can I just say it like that? There's a way to suffer where one is filled with self-pity and doubt and God, how could, how could you be loving and all-powerful in me? And what I observed in my friend and in Pastor Ron, and this everyone was deep faith, Lord, heal this young man and God, we trust you. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because when Christ is life... Death is gain. His son's a whole lot happier than we are right now because he's standing fully in the face of his Savior. When Christ is life, death is gain. Paul knew this, but Paul was pulled apart a little bit because he was like, yeah, I really want to meet Jesus. I have been at this a while and you guys are getting, you know, old. And I would love to just depart and be with Christ. It's far better. But he says, I must remain on your account. Do you know that your perseverance isn't just about you? Your perseverance isn't about you. It's about the people who are coming beside you and becoming after you. And when Christ is life and death is gain, that means you have the ability to have an invincible joy in your life. I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is situational. Happiness is, ooh, lots of money in the bank account today. Or, ooh, nice day outside. Or, ooh, I got a good grade. Or, ooh, she's looking at me and she's pretty. Like, whatever. <laughs> happiness is situational. Joy, though. When Christ is life... And death is gain. Joy is invincible for you. Joy is invincible. Because there's nothing that can happen on earth. When you, like the Apostle Paul says, that your life is hidden with Christ in God, when, when life is in Christ for you, who's going to take that away? 
What, what political leader is going to get elected so that you can no longer have joy in Jesus? What, what can possibly happen to your body so that you no longer have a reason to hope? What can possibly happen in your family or in your major or in your school or to your sports team or to your career or to anything that you say you care about? What can possibly happen to that that will take Jesus from you? Nothing. Nothing. When Christ is life, death is gain. Joy is invincible. Joy is invincible. And, and when I read Paul, I mean, I'm looking at a guy who's like, his, he's had a bad week, right? I mean, he goes into it later like, yeah, I've been shipwrecked a few times. I've been beaten like Jesus was to the point of death three times. I've been shipwrecked more than once. I've been mocked and stoned and, you know, not like you college students know about, but like with rocks, all right? <laughs> we're church folk. We have no idea. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Lying in church is worse. I just, it's in the book of hesitations. Uh, Like a hundred of y'all are like, where's that again? Um, And you really need to do the purple book badly, badly. Uh, It's not a book. It's not a book. Um, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart with be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all, listen, for your progress and your joy in the faith. Christ was such a source of life, and death for Paul was gain. And his joy was so invincible that there was now purpose in his pain. He realized, this hurts for me, but I'm, I'm persevering through what hurts because I'm now persevering for your progress and your joy. And I don't know if you appreciate most of the New Testament at all, but I do. And I'm super glad that Paul had a good attitude and persevered through his pain so that he could write Philippians. I'm very grateful that Paul understood intellectually, emotionally, experientially, that when Christ is life, death is gain, and his joy could be invincible, and now there could be purpose and pain. Many of you, you approach the hard things of life, and you're like, well, there obviously could be no reason God would allow mom and dad to split up, or there could be no reason that I, God would allow this hard thing to happen to me. There could be no reason that this difficult, legitimately challenging, super bad situation, whatever it is that you're walking through, and you actually think that that proves God doesn't love you. May I just suggest to you that what the scriptures say about suffering is true. That God will use your suffering to remind you, this is not where your hope lies. This is not where your joy comes from. You are called to be here, but you are not from here, sons and daughters. You are not from here. So when this world says, we don't like you, we reject you, and we're going to cause you pain, you said, the worst you can do is dispatch me to see my king. But I'm going to persevere through my pain because pain has purpose. I hear it all the time on the campuses that surround our church. You know, God could not be both loving and all-powerful, and there'd be so much meaningless suffering in the world. Do you know what makes that argument false? The word meaningless. I'll bet right now, just in the room, you could think of something really hard you went through and go, but man, God has really used that to... In fact, may I just suggest that the gospel itself is in fact God working the greatest possible good from the worst conceivable evil. 
I don't know what you've done bad, but I'll bet you've never done anything as morally horrific as murdering God. God ordained the murder of his son so that he could adopt you. Are, are you, hello? Hi, that's the gospel. That's how you got saved. For God so loved the world that he gave us, remember? Remember that? Remember, I am Jesus. You cried about it down here a while ago. You remember that? You remember that? Yeah. God planned that. God planned that. It wasn't like a, oh, they got a, uh, Jesus, get in. Oh, it wasn't, that wasn't like that. All right? The scriptures say that he is called the lamb who was slain from before the foundations of the world. God knew from all time what it would cost him to love you. And he said, yeah. Yeah. Jesus said, yeah. Arms spread wide. Yeah. Blood and water. Yes. And Christ is life. Death is gain. Your joy is invincible and there is purpose in your pain. For Paul, prison was his platform. There is no pain so great which can keep you from experiencing joy in God. If Christ is a life for you, death is gain. Joy is invincible. And there will be purpose in pain. So let me ask you. God ruined my life. I mean, I had, I, I had it picked out. I had scholarships to grad school. I, had, I was really good at my major. I knew what I wanted to do. And God said, no, I'm going to completely reroute you. And I was mad about it for a long time. And you can ask Gabe. <laughs> Deepest apologies that you had to walk with me through that. Um, Paul, he had a track. He, had a, he, had a, he knew what he was going to do. He had, a, he had the major... Ivy Lee, I mean, you know, smart, knew what he was called to do. And God said, no, I'm going. And in fact, when God spoke to him, he said, I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my name. May I submit to you that what's keeping you from walking fully in the purposes of God is you are afraid that what God has for you is not better than what you have for you. And you are wrong. When Christ is life, and only when Christ is life, can death be gain. You doing you, you following your heart and being, you know, whatever Jiminy Cricket says you should be or whatever the great prophetess Mariah Carey said, just look deep in your heart. Um, If you do that, if you obey that, this is as good as it gets. This is it. You better live it up, man. You better squeeze this for every drop of pleasure because when it's over, it's over. But when Christ is life, death is gain. So the choice I lay before you and the choice that is laid before you every morning, what is life? What is life? Is life her? Is it him? Is it your five-year plan? Is it making your first million? Is it coming up with that cool tech startup and selling it in Silicon Valley? Is it you pursuing your dream? Is it being the rock star? Is it getting married early and having lots of it? What is it? Put it down. Empty your hands and say, Jesus, be life for me. Father, thank you for these men and women. I thank you, God, for the calling on their lives. I thank you, Lord, for the 
promise and the future and the hope and all of the good things you have for us, God. And I thank you, God, that they're so good. The things that you have for these men and women are so good that there is not one kind of suffering that can tarnish them. There is not one kind of pain that they can walk through that will somehow prove your promises wrong. And God, I pray that in this moment, you would now give them courage to say yes to you. Give them courage to turn their back to sin. They're back to those things that are not sin, but they're just weights. They're back to those things that aren't sin or weights. They're really good things. They're just not the right things. And to pursue you with all of their might as their life and their joy and their treasure and their hope forever and ever so that your son Jesus will be glorified and they will know true and everlasting joy. Amen.